Go ahead, if you would, and turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter 5, starting with verse 6. It's the last time we're going to be in 1 Peter until uh, deacon ordination, and we're going to back up a few verses. The first part of chapter 5 is, uh, deals with that, so we're going to wait until that. It'll be in January. It was 1 Peter 5, verses 6 through 10. We did, there was, I hesitated because verse 8 says, be of sober spirit on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking to someone to devour. That, that'll come into play in just a little bit. Um, I do want to mention, if you don't have a Bible with you, we've got Bibles in the pew rack. And if you don't have a Bible at home, take one of them, and we won't accuse you of swiping it. It'll be just fine, so do that. Uh, my high school drama teacher's name was Thomas Alexander Deckman II. I always thought second was sort of weird. Finally, one day, got the courage up to ask him why he was a second and not a junior, and he said that was the reason, that he never wanted to be called junior. He hated the phrase or the name junior, so he was Thomas Alexander Deckman II. And he had a son, and his son's name is Thomas Alexander Deckman III. Okay, there you go. He was my drama coach in high school and right after high school, and he taught me the basics of stagecraft. He taught me that one of the things you never do is you never talk with your hands in your pocket. If you're on stage, your hands don't go in your pocket. Your hands have to stay out at all times. No matter how weird it feels, hands never go in your pocket. He also told me that when you're turning on stage, that you never turn with your back to people. No matter how weird it feels, you have to make sure that your turn keeps you in front of the audience. He told me that when you talk from the stage, that you're talking to the people on the back row so that everybody in the room can hear. And he taught me this, which is the reason we're talking about this. The most important thing is to start well and finish well because nobody will ever remember the middle. So he said, you've got to make sure you hit a home run when you hit the stage and a home run as you leave the stage and they'll forgive everything in the middle. So, looked at Peter. What reminded me of this is when I'm going through this and reading Reading and studying for this week, I see that Peter took Deckman's advice just a little bit ahead of Deckman's time. He finishes well. He finishes very, very well. When you sit down, listen to it, listen to what he was saying, and maybe it was because of the week I had this week that it spoke particularly to me that, that says, you know, Randy, this, this is the grand slam, son. Walk off, home run. You can talk about this for weeks. This is good. This is good. So I want us to listen to it very closely this morning, even though the final thought, the main point of this sounds so very simple, and you've heard it so many times, but I want us to, to drill into this and to listen to it. The more we see God, the less we worry. The more we see God, the less we worry. Now let's understand what Peter's saying in this. He starts with verse 6, and he says, Therefore, humble yourselves. Now, I can't think of any way to explain this better than to talk about Job. I don't know. I suspect everybody in here knows the story of Job, knows that he lived an exemplary life. His life was so exemplary, in fact, that God bragged on him to Satan. And Satan looked at God, and he said, Look, he would crumble like a three-day-old cookie if you just let me have my way with him. I guarantee you he would not still be your man. And God says, Well, do your thing. And so Satan gets hold of Job and wears him 
out. He takes all of his possessions. He takes his family. He takes his health. He gets him to a point where he is so low that all he can do is sit on a trash heap and take broken pieces of pottery and scratch the sores that's on his body, trying to give him some relief, while he's got his wife sitting there beside him, nagging him, telling him, why don't you just curse God and die? And got his three best buddies standing there saying, I know we thought you were such a good guy all these years and you were all that, but I'm telling you, you've got hidden sin in your life. You need to confess your sin, dude, because there's something wrong with you. And Job is sitting there going, there's not, there's not, there's not, until finally he couldn't take it anymore. And he turns to God and he says, listen, I've had enough of this. It is time for you to live up to your end of the bargain. Get yourself down here and talk to me face to face, man to man, and explain to me why a good guy like me has to go through all this mess that you've thrown at me. And God comes and talks to him. God steps up and he says, gird up your loins like a man. I will ask you and you instruct me, will you really annul my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? And then for two chapters in the Bible, God wears Job out. Question after question after question. Where were you? What did you create? Where were you when I did this? When I did this? When I made... And listen, when you go back and read those two chapters in Job... If you'll read them real, real, real slowly and listen to some of them, you'll find out that there are scientific things that we have just discovered in our brilliance that we have in our world today, scientific things that we've just discovered that's pointed out in Job already, what, 3,000 years ago? And when finally God gets through wearing Job absolutely out, You older guys have been through this. I'm not sure you younger guys have. You probably should have been. And maybe you will be. But I can remember. I can't remember what I did. But I can remember the look on my daddy's face. And I can remember what my daddy said. I said something to him. And he got that look that says, I'm not going to kill you now. But it's coming. And he says to me, remember who you are, boy. Any of you guys ever had that happen? Your mom or dad look at you. Remember who you are, boy. That's what God's doing to Job. Remember who you are, boy. Remember who you are. And when God knew that Job understood that, he was quiet. <clears throat> and Job said back to God, I know that you can do anything. And no one can stop you. You ask, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? <laughs> it's me. And I was talking about things that I didn't know anything about. Things far too wonderful to me for me. You said, listen and I will speak. I have some questions for you. And you must answer them. I'd only heard about you before. But now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said. I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. I only heard about you. Folks, I think about us going to Sunday school and church all of our lives and how many of us have only heard about him. We've studied and we've read and, we, and we've heard about him and we've heard about him. And he says, I want you to see me. 
Because when you see me, you understand who he is and you become humble in front of him and you say, I take everything back. You are righteous. I'm not even close. That's what humility is. That's what humility is. Humility is realizing who God is and who you aren't. And, and we do what Paul says. We don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Now, we don't think of ourselves, and this is something I want to make sure you understand. I'm not going to that such a worm as I thing, because, see, I'm, I'm a worm before I'm saved. After I'm saved, I'm a saint in God's eyes. I'm never a worm again. So toss that worm thing out if you're a child of God. If you're not a child of God, hang on to the worm thing. But if you're a child of God, let that go. But I understand who I am in front of him. I know who I am in front of him. And I know you've heard this humility stuff before. And there's no telling what you have in your head. But listen to what Peter's trying to tell, to, tell us here through this. He starts verse 6 with the, with the humble yourself. And then in the sentence continues and he says, casting all your anxieties on him. Let me help you understand something. If you take this at face value, you can't do this. You can't do this at face value. I hope your week wasn't like my week was this week, but I bet you most of you had a week like this. Nothing, not, not major stuff, you know, nobody's going to die because of the decisions you made, but it's like death from a thousand paper cuts. Every time you turn around, there's some little new something, some little new something, some little new something, some little new something. I can handle two, I can handle three, I can handle five. The tenth one starts to get on my nerves, and by the time we're on the fifteenth one, I'm ready to hurt somebody, you know? Y'all have been there, right? You had that kind of week where things just stack up and they get deeper and they get deeper and they get deeper. doesn't matter what part of the world you're in, whether you're in secular world or church world or whether you're at school or whether you're a student, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a stay-at-home mom. It doesn't matter what you are. Some weeks in life are just full of issues, one after another and after another. And one or two is not bad, but when they pile up, you start getting stressful. You start getting anxious and worried and annoyed. And then Peter comes up with his holy mess and says, cast your anxieties on the Lord. Like there's nothing to this. I'm just going to cast my anxieties upon him and I'm going to walk away and everything's going to be better. So I try to cast my anxieties on the Lord and they don't take. They bounce off and come back. And I cast them and they come back. And now I'm feeling guilty because I can't cast my anxieties on the Lord. Now I've got one more thing I can't do right. Peter in all of this reminds us right after this he reminds us look at the right thing and you don't have to cast they'll just be casted look at the right thing look at the right thing seven right things we're going to look at now I know you can't remember them and I know that I can't go into them in super detail. Seven, that would take forever. But here's what I've prayed for you this week, and I've prayed this multiple times, that one of these will stick. That one of these will be yours, either this morning or sometime this week. One of these seven will stick. It will be what you need for you to lean back and realize who God is, who you are, and how that makes life peaceful. 
Seven things, all right? Here's number one. Number one is I understand who God is and he ain't me. I understand who God is and he's not me. It's my daddy reminded me, remember who you are, boy. I hate to do this and I want to do it all at the same time. It was so fun doing this by myself in my study. I got to tell you this, and you might go home and you go, eh, well, boy, he's easy to amuse. I preached this sermon twice to me because I enjoyed it. Isn't that weird? I did it, when I got through, I went, this is cool. So I preached it, and I got through, and I said, this is cool, and I preached it again. And I'm telling you, I was good. It was a dynamite sermon because of what it said to me. But I know that we've heard it, and when we've heard it, we tend to click that little switch off and go, ah, I've heard all that. Listen, listen to what he's, we, he's telling us. Remember who God is. I understand that God is bigger than me. I understand that God is greater than me. I understand that God is more immense than me. He's more knowledgeable than me. He's more powerful than I am. That he is more demanding than I am. That he is more anything or anything, anyone that I can imagine. He is more. He is bigger than my life. He is bigger than my life. He is bigger than me. He, is, he knows what's going to happen before it happens. He knows how it's going to end up. Think about this for a minute. If you knew how the meeting was going to end up before you went into the meeting, wouldn't that take your stress level off a little bit? Even if you knew that the boss was going to hand you yourself on a platter before, at the end of the meeting, if you knew that's what was coming, you really knew that's what was coming, wouldn't that make it easier on you? Instead of worrying about it, I wonder what's going to happen in that meeting. I wonder if I'm going to get chewed out. Oh, I know I'm going to get chewed out. I didn't do anything wrong. I know I didn't, but this is just the way these things work. And you get all worked up. Or I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell my wife that I, I spent $50, honey, and I know I wasn't supposed to, because of Donna, but I did, and, and she's going to get in the world. Oh, and it's going to be so bad. And then and the kids are going to come home from school, and one of them's going to come from school, and they're going to have that little piece of paper from the teacher, and it's not going to be a love note. And you're just, oh, that little kid, and then, oh, And God knows before it happens how it's going to end up. So he's not worried. He's got it. He is not worried. He knows how it's going to turn out. And what the scripture is saying is that under his hand, that means under his might, under his power, I'm humbled because he's is in charge he is in control and he's in me see the difference that makes he is he is in control and he is in me I am not a worm I am chosen by Almighty God who knows the name of every star in the sky and yet he chooses to talk to me. Number two, I understand at the right time he is going to exalt me. 
I understand at the right time he's going to exalt me. Verse 6 ends with this, that he might exalt you at the proper time. Somebody in here belongs to this one. God is saying, listen, do not be deceived. You can't be held down. Nobody can keep you down. Don't even listen to these folks. It might feel like you're never going to get out of this. It might feel like you're going to suffer forever. It might feel like you're going to be beat down and you can't get up. It might feel like that. You might think these people are driving you crazy and you're never going to get up again. That's not God speaking. God says here, at the right time, I will exalt you. At the right time, you'll rise up. I'll see to it. At the right time, I am going to take care of you. No one can keep you down forever because your position does not depend on them. Your position does not depend on you. Your position depends on him. And he says, I will exalt you at the proper time. Number three, I understand that the devil wants me. And I am in his sight. But he cannot prevail over me no matter what anyone says and no matter what it might look like right this minute. Verse 8, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary the devil prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Sober spirit and on the alert. In my commentary, the guy translates it this way. Pay attention. Wake up. That's the way he translates this. Pay attention. Wake up. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. What Peter's saying is, listen, if you'll pay any bit of attention at all, you'll see the devil coming a million miles away. And you know that's right. You know that's true. You know before you go to that party, you know before you go what the temptations are going to be. You know before you go. You know. You know when you go to work that that woman that's there, that your wife is, is right now is having one of those moments, you know, that, that you don't care for that much. And there's this woman at work that whenever you walk by, it makes your heart skip a little beat. You know she's going to be there. You know that man, because your husband is uncommunicative, he's practically a zombie, he never talks, and you go to work, and there's a man at work that talks and listens, you know he's going to be there, you know where these things go. You know that you didn't study for that test, you know you were supposed to and you should have. And you get to school and you know that you're sitting beside that person that always studies, that always makes an A, and they never cover their paper up when they're writing their answers down. You know it before you get there. You know it's coming. You know it. Wake up, he says. Pay attention. You can save yourself a whole heap of trouble. You can save yourself a whole heap of suffering by paying attention for a minute. Pay attention. And if you don't believe in the devil, because I know, I know, I know, I know, it is not the intelligent thing to believe in. If you don't believe in the devil, Ephesians 6 says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the high places. That's what Paul says in Ephesians. Peter says, your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Randy, do you mean that you believe in a devil? You don't? Yes, I do. I most assuredly do. See, we want to think we're fighting against people. That it's me and you. That it's you and him. You and your boss. Us and the government. 
We want to think it's all of these things that we're fighting against. Those things are players. That's all they are is they're players. Confusion, division, anger, strife, anxiety, all of these things are driven by a power, an evil power that's greater than us, but so much smaller than God. So much smaller than God, in fact, that the devil can only do in your life what God allows him to do in your life. He is limited. Now, how do we deal with the devil? How do we deal with the devil? I think Peter's telling us that here. When we start experiencing confusion and strife and division and turmoil, listen, wake up, pay attention. That is the devil, that is his hallmark. He loves chaos. You don't think he loved what happened in our country for the last year? He loves chaos. He loves division. He loves separation. As he gets loose in a church, what happens when he gets loose in a church? Why do we have 50,000 churches around middle Georgia? It wasn't because, ooh, I'm going to say, yeah, the voice said, Randy, be careful. Yeah, I'll be careful. It wasn't because we had a missionary zeal and think we need to go on each corner and set up a church. It's because Satan got loose in the church and you got mad at you and y'all split and formed you a new church so we can do it our way over here. You know I'm right. Satan loves division. He loves that. He thrives. And when you see that happening, Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 7, if you back up a chapter, he says over there, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Be earnest and disciplined. Well, the reason we're going back to this is because of this. Number one, when, it, when you're under attack, it feels like the world's coming to an end. But Peter, the words he uses here, a New Living Translation says to be earnest and disciplined. New American Standard says sound judgment and sober spirit. Those words are the exact same words that you find in verse 8 where he says, pay attention, wake up. Same words. So what is he saying there? Peter is saying, pay attention, wake up, pray. And then over in verse 8, he uses the same words, I think, to draw our mind back there so that when we are confronted with Satan, when we know that we're walking into an evil situation, instead of being bold and saying, I rebuke you, devil, in the name of Jesus, instead of doing that kind of nonsense, I turn to the one who I know is powerful and I say, Father, a lion is about to eat me alive. And I know this lion is your enemy more than he's my enemy. I need you to take care of him. And I keep my eyes on my coach and I take my eyes off of everything else. I pray, I pray, I pray. We are in a battle in a realm that we don't see and that we don't want to talk about because people who are smarter than us don't believe in it. And they keep telling us it's a fairy tale. There is an evil in this world and he wants to devour us. Now gentlemen, I know, I know that talking about the devil is sissy stuff. I know that. We're men. We're tough. We don't talk about the devil. That's childhood stuff. That's women's fables. We don't believe in it. But gentlemen, let me tell you something. Things happen 
last week, and I saw it. I, I saw it Facebook last night. I think it was uh, Twitter. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting into Twitter, and you go into the little news feed thing, and you and the trending stuff, and then you can see and whoop, there you go. Tennessee, the grandmama and the two children that were missing, they found them. Found them dead. They tried to escape the fire on foot. Why in the world? I don't know, but they did. And they found grandmama with the two little kids right there beside her. And gentlemen, we hear those kind of things and we lay in bed at night and we think of all this horrible stuff that could happen to our wives and could happen to our children that we're powerless to deal with. Gentlemen, that comes from the evil one. That comes from Satan. That's the fight that you're fighting. Believe, guys. Believe. Deny that there is an evil spirit. Deny that there is Satan. Deny that there is Lucifer. Deny that there is an evil one at your own peril. But don't fight him. Resist him by praying to the one who can crush his head. Number four, I understand I'm going to suffer because everybody suffers. It's part of life. Get over it. Now, I'm not making light of it because I know that there are people in this congregation who are suffering in ways that I would never, ever, ever want to suffer. But what Peter helps us understand here in verse 10 is that all suffering has a limit. He says, after you have suffered for a little while. Now, here's my beef with God, and he knows, we've talked about it. His clock ticks slower than my clock does. Little while to me means that you're over it in 10 minutes. A little while to God could mean years. Because he's got his agenda, and he's doing his thing. But the thing that we have to that we have to remember and it's so easy to say and and the more your suffering is the deeper your suffering is I think for a while the harder it is to hold on to this is that it, it's going to end the suffering's going to end and you're going to be exalted at the right time and even if the suffering ends in death that doesn't that that's not an ending that's the exaltation where I get to be in his face I get to see him face to face and all of this stuff that I've learned I get to see what's real what was fake and the majesty of who he really is there really is something there it's life and our life doesn't stop our bodies drop away but our life keeps going on so we're all going to suffer why do bad things happen to good people? Let's ask this question. Why do bad things happen to everybody? Because we're all going to suffer. Number five, I understand that God gives new life to me, not because I'm all that, but because he's all that. He gives me new life because of who he is. He is the God of all grace. The best one of you in here are going to make stupid decisions. And you're going to lean back and go, what? The best one of us in here are going to make heathen mistakes. We are going to make boneheaded choices. We know we are. And yet he doesn't throw us out. And he doesn't stop loving us. In fact, he disciplines us to bring us home. He doesn't bless you because you're all that. 
you know, I'm working hard in the church and doing all the things and God's going to bless. Hey, they, really? He does what he does because who he is. And he doesn't kick you out because you aren't all of that. He, he is all of that. And that's what matters. And he says, keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on me, not on you. Here's, here's where, uh, well, let me finish this and I'll go to that right quick. Who called you, verse 10 says, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ? He called you. You didn't do anything to make it happen. Eternal means that he can't, it can't be stopped. There's no beginning, no end. And he, he, he brought you to this. In all of this, I keep having this image. I don't know if this is going to help you at all. I have to see this stuff in my head. This is what I see. I played ball, softball, when I was, when I was a, a young man, late teens, early 20s. Played a lot of softball. Where we played, there were three games every night. So if you were the last game, you didn't have to worry about this. But if you were the first two games, you had to worry about it. When you got on the field to play... The other team came out to warm up. So you've got the fenced-in area where the ball game's going on, where we're doing all of our stuff, but outside of the fenced area is where they're warming up. And you've got guys throwing the ball back and forth to warm up. Every now and then somebody misses one and has to run off and catch the ball. You've got guys that are swinging bats back and forth, and they're on the ground doing all of our little whizzy wops that look like we know what we're doing, but we really don't, but we want to look cool, and so it works out pretty well. We're doing all of this stuff out here while the game's going on. And the way I think about this, when he talks about casting my anxieties on him, my anxieties are all those things happening outside the fence. And y'all know how distracting those can be if you've ever played ball. You get up to bat, and here you are standing like this, and the pitcher's over here, and the field's over here, and you're facing this way, and there's first baseline running this way, and there's the fence, and here's all these guys over here laughing and throwing the ball back and forth and cutting up and missing the ball and doing all the stuff that they're doing. And when you're supposed to be looking this way, and you glance over and you see them, then you see the ball coming out of the left-hand portion of your eye, and you look back around right quick, and then you swing, and, you, and it just don't go right. Because I had my eye in the wrong place. I had my eye on my anxieties outside of the fence. God's in the fence. And when I've got my eye on him in here, this, I become blind to it when I concentrate on this. That's, that's what this whole verse reminded me of. The seventh point, I understand he does this for me now and forevermore. He does all of this stuff for me forever and ever and ever. To him be dominion forever and ever. I don't know if you get a rush when you say things like that or not. Try saying it out loud to yourself. To him be, to give him that praise. To you, Father. To you, God, be dominion forever and ever. Dominion, power, authority, control, command, say so, domination, dominance, supremacy. You've got the muscle. You've got the clout. You've got the sovereignty. You're the boss. You're the bomb. You're the tip of the top. You are God and you chose me. Man, anxieties start to go away. 
Romans 8, 38 and 39, for I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. There's Satan again. No power in the sky above or in earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are home Take a deep breath. When I get Jesus in my eyes, I'm blinded to my worries. When I see Jesus, not when I've just studied about him, but when I lean back and see Jesus, my worries, I become blind to my worries. Casting my anxiety on him is simple because I don't do any casting. I look at him and he just takes care of them. His burden is easy. His yoke is light. I let it go doesn't mean I ignore stuff. It means when I look at him, he's helping me understand how to handle all this stuff. It'll be taken care of. He knows how it's going to end anyway. Chill out. It'll be okay. I read, I read what Peter says here at the very end, and he says to me, the more I know Jesus, the easier it is to breathe. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You're going to get there because he loves you and he takes care of you. It's a big deal. We've heard it a million times. And yet, how many of us, when have we leaned back? Thought about the majesty of God. The power that he has. And he says that he lives in me. For I am crucified in Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I got it. Because he's got it. I'm just getting out of the way. And that's all I got to say about that. Pray with me if you would. Lord Jesus, I thank you for opening the door for us to see the Father. Father, if we could, I'd sit here all day with us and, 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 and sit here until we are overwhelmed by your majesty and your glory and your power. And that we understand how you are so much greater than our problems and you tell us that all of our burdens belong to you. It's okay. Father, there are folks in here that are struggling with all kinds of all kinds of wounds, whether they are suffering that's a part of life or whether they've inflicted things on themselves. And we all have this idea that God helps those who help themselves. That's a lie from Satan himself. Oh, Father, help me first. Help us first. Help us see that you are the one that helps us. Turn on the light in our hearts for us to see you.
cause us to know you, cause us to trust you, cause us to hear you. We want to see you, Lord, we do. We really do, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to steal from uh, David Jeremiah this morning. He did something that I thought was really cool and goes right along with what we're talking about. He was talking, he was, it was the end of his program, and he was uh, essentially delivering an invitation. And he said, go to John 3.16, and in John 3.16, put your name in that place. For God so loved the world, for God so loved Randy, that he gave his only son. That if Randy would believe, then Randy would have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved, say your name. Yeah, do it out loud. Say your name. For God so loved that he gave his one and only son. That if your name believed in him, you will not perish. You will not perish but your name will have everlasting life. He wrote that to you. I ask you this morning, if you've never trusted him as your savior, to do it right now. In church, as Christmas is coming up, we celebrate the baby, but let's not let the baby be a distraction. Let's look at the power of God and who he is in our lives and what he's done in the universe. Let's grasp hold of a little bit of his majesty. Would you stand?